0: A few things coming up tonight, as he alluded to, uh, we're having an event called Heart Cry. Um, Kind of the dream behind this is there's a a worship song that talks about the cry of my heart is to bring you praise. Uh, From the inside out, my soul cries out. It's this cry of our heart to worship Him, to honor Him, and um, it just kind of birthed this idea in me, what if we had a few events the rest of this year um, where we just had opportunity to cry out to God? Uh, to pray, to sing together, and even to uh, spend time connecting with each other. And so tonight is our first one. Starts at 6 o'clock. Um, the actual event in this space—it's uh, it's multi-generational. Uh, it'll last 45 minutes to an hour, um, but the theme of it is heart cry, hymns, and prayer. And so we're going to have uh, a short evening of uh, singing some hymns together, mixed with some stories, testimonies, uh, mixed with some thoughts, and mixed with some opportunities just to, to pray. And then when that's over, uh, we'll move out and there will be ice cream available in the lobby and you can grab that. And if you want to be inside and sit on the benches and visit, you can. If you want to move outside, you can do that. If you want to head to the preschool playground and hang out or the other playground, that's all great. We just want to hang out. and. Uh, and worship God and pray together and connect with each other. And this, this is the first of at least three of those we're going to do this year. We may even add more as the year goes on. I'm excited even for one coming up around Christmas uh, called uh, Heart Cry Carols and Prayer, where we're going to get together one evening and, and pray and sing sing carols. But tonight is Heart Cry Hymns and Prayer. Uh, come out 6 o'clock, um, grab ice cream. Uh, you can be here as little as 6 to 7, or you can stay and linger on into 8 o'clock or so and connect with, with other people. Uh, also, so I would encourage you, please check the digital bulletin. If you don't yet receive that, that's a great thing to email us about. Connect at lebanonchristian.org will get you on that list. You can also stop by the, one of the welcome uh, desks in either of our lobbies. They usually have digital uh, physical copies of the digital bulletin but there are events there for connecting um, our family ministries uh, particularly preschool and children's are organizing these Connect for events. There's one of those coming up Saturday. Uh, we also have opportunities to give. You may see a couple boxes in both of our lobbies for serve day there's a united effort among churches in boone county as well as other nonprofits to serve our community and that's coming up the second uh weekend in i guess it's the third technically the third weekend in july and uh there's there's details about that in the digital bulletin as well Uh, lots of opportunities to connect and to serve and to be the church and to be his instruments of change uh in this world let's pray God, I thank you. Every uh, man, woman, uh, young and old, elementary through junior high and high school, college and beyond, uh, those that are making uh, a living working in the workplace or are now in retirement, everyone in this room, everyone watching and listening, uh, they matter deeply to your heart. God, would you draw us uh, for we're already people who trust and follow you, for are already disciples, would you draw us deeper into that life today? Would you maybe reveal places that um, have been kind of closed off from you, that would uh, that we'd allow you to work and to shape us and to change us, that we might not only have your light shine into us, but that it might shine through us to those in our circles of influence. And God, I pray for those that are watching and listening, those that are here that have yet to make a decision to trust and to follow you. To believe in your way and your truth and your life. As we explore these words today and in future weeks that, that you would just draw them to see that you care deeply for them, that your way is our best, and that Father, even when it's hard sometimes to follow you, that truly uh, we can find rest for our souls in you, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God may we come to you and experience that. Would you guide my words this morning? That I pray that it would be your words that would stick, that you would transform us and change us and invite us into your life. Amen. How many of you have ever had someone uh, speak hard truth into your life? Uh, truth that you needed to hear, uh, but truth that you didn't really want to hear. Uh, maybe they observed a behavior, they observed a pattern in your life, maybe you did something that they knew was not good and it was wrecking your life, and so they cared enough about you to speak into your life. But those words were hard, and those words were harsh, and those words were real. Uh, those words were tested even by Scripture. They, they, they lined up with what God's desire is, but they were hard words, uh, just as an example from my own life, four or five years ago, uh, I came into the office one day and Kurt, our Care and Connections Minister, who we have a, a good relationship, said, hey, Craig, I'd really like to talk to you if you have a minute. And so he invited me into his office and had me sit down. And he proceeded to detail for me an interaction he'd observed with me and my youngest son, where I'd spoken words of frustration, uh, words that were angry, and he proceeded to just challenge me and say, Craig, I I don't think this is the type of dad you wanna be, and I don't think the way you spoke to your son was the way that you should. I remember in that moment just kind of feeling it, and I was like, wow. It was hard truth. It was truth that aligned with God's word. It was truth that I needed to hear even though I necessarily didn't want to hear it. I know some of you are thinking, maybe even some of you at home, that he doesn't have the right to speak into your life. Like, tell him to mind his own business, he's just meddling. But here's the reality, as a disciple of Jesus, by walking with Jesus, I give permission to other sojourners, other followers of Jesus, other travelers with Jesus, other apprentices of Jesus to Help me better honor him and follow him. And then part of that is honoring my family. Have you ever had someone speak hard truth into your life? I know I need it even if I don't want it. Do you and I know that the Bible is full of hard truth? There are truths communicated by God um, through his prophets, through his teachers, through Jesus, uh, through the New Testament writers, that are just sometimes hard. There are things that we need to hear, but they're things that we don't necessarily want to hear. Like our life is far more convenient and far easier if we can just kind of, uh, you know, allow this kind of part of our life to go unconfronted and, and we can just kind of do these things really well. See, we are masters at leaning into the things in Scripture that we agree with and that we do really well, and we are also masters at ignoring the ones that we struggle with. In, in my experience as a a pastor in the church for 22 years, uh, there are some hard truths that have risen to the surface again and again and again that not only I have struggled with, but I have seen those I love and serve and lead alongside struggle with, uh, fellow travelers in the way of Jesus, fellow disciples struggle with. And so I, I just want to spend a few weeks looking at those hard truths. Uh, I do this not as someone who's figured it out. I do this not as someone who's who's doing all these things well. Uh, I wrestle with many of these hard truths just like you do. So understand that we are in this together. Now, I would hope that I'm learning to do it better, but we are in this together. So these hard truths are, are pricking me and confronting me just as they will prick and confront you. We are all in this together. But they're hard truths that I think that beyond being difficult, Right now in our present society, they present one of the greatest opportunities for God's light to shine. If we can allow His truth to confront us and to challenge us, His Spirit to convict us, if we will shape our lives around His truth, then it gives us this incredible opportunity right now to not only invite Him to have His way in us, but we can show the world a whole lot, a whole lot more, a whole better way to live. That's really bad grammar, so we'll just pretend that that all made sense. Like it'll, it'll help us show the world uh, a better, a better way. I just picked out five. And I know that for some of you, you're going to say, Well, why didn't you pick this? Why didn't you pick that? I think the world really has a problem with this. I see Christians have a problem with that. I had to stop the, 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 the list somewhere. And we may pick up those others at a different time when we likely will. But here are the five we're going to look at the hard truth about money, the, the hard truth about our words. Uh, we, we have words uh, in our society uh, in surplus. Not only do we get to talk to people, we get to text people, we get to email people, we get to post on social media, we get to talk about people. It's not always a good thing, but we do it. And so words are in surplus. We're talking about our words and the power of our words. We're going to talk about how to have good conflict uh, when you are at odds with someone, how to engage in that. What's Jesus' prescription for that? How do we handle conflict and confrontation? Uh, the truth about judgment, you know, a phrase that gets thrown around a lot is that only God can judge me. Well, is that True. And who's that true for? Uh, We're gonna look at the truth about hell. And so over the coming, we should look at these hard truths and hope that God will just invite us into his beauty. And and really, honestly, I think it's an invitation into the revolutionary way of Jesus. There is a reason why Jesus was such a revolution. There's There's a reason why Jesus was so polarizing. It's because Jesus lived such a life that people were compelled and they said, wow, this is different and if we can get things right when it comes to these hard truths, we will live such different lives that people will be encouraged, people will be inspired, people will be, be challenged, people will want to know more about who we are and why we do what we do. And my hope is that if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet someone who's decided to trust and follow him, that you will see that even if you are just curious about faith, even if you're skeptical about faith, that the way of God, the way of Jesus provides The beautiful picture and the beautiful way forward for who you ultimately truly desire to be and what is best for your life, where you find meaning, where you find purpose, where you find hope. So, we're gonna start with a really easy one. It's a lie because none of these are easy. Uh, We're gonna start with the truth about money, the hard truth about money. I know for some of you, your resistance automatically goes up. See, I knew it, so I don't go to church. All I do is talk about money. Uh, Well, if you come to a Lebanon Christian church more than just once every six months, you'll realize that we don't just talk about money. But I will share this, is that if you look at the teachings of Jesus in um, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you add together his teachings and you look at the ones that talk about wealth and finances and possessions, you find that Jesus actually talks about money 25% of the time. A quarter of Jesus's teachings are about the place that wealth holds in our life, riches hold in our hearts, uh, the, 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 the hold they have on us and what we do with them and our desire to get them and how we, uh, you know, uh, expend them and accumulate them. Like a quarter of all that Jesus teaches is on that. And it shouldn't surprise us because if you look at the history of God's people, if you look at God's working in humanity, time and time again, money or wealth or the things that money can buy and the wealth that can be accumulated often gets in the way of people and how they honor God with their lives. Here's part of the reason why it's so hard in our culture though, is that there are a few things we don't like to talk about in our society today. We don't like to talk about Bruno. We also don't like to talk about money, among other things. It's kind of taboo, we're taught from a really young age, you know, as a young child before the filter develops that we impose upon them, uh, they'll ask questions like, Grandma, how much did this cost? And quickly, there's a parent saying, shh, we don't don't ask that. How much money do you make, Dad? No, 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 we don't ask that question. And so we don't talk about money. What's interesting is, is if you travel the world, you realize that that sentiment is pretty isolated to Western Europe and to North America. I was in China in 1998, and I was taken aback when uh, as i'm visiting with high school uh, students we're teaching them english in this five week english camp and and the first few days there, as is we're getting to know each other student after student after student wants to know how much do your parents make and at first i thought it was rude i didn't have the answer because guess what we don't talk about money and so i couldn't tell them but they kept asking it and so we went to our chinese liaisons and we were like why do they keep asking us how much our parents make and they're like well in Chinese society, it's just like talking about the weather. Like, like that's not a, a subject that's off limits. I thought, well, that's unique to China. Ten years later, I'm, I'm serving with, um, I wasn't a part of this church at the time, but it was the same mission partner we have, TCM. I was serving on a three-week trip at Haus Edelweiss in, in Austria. And students were there from like 14 different countries in Eastern Europe, Russia, and then in Central Asia. And they were asking me the exact same question. Like we were even warned in our training that that that's not really off limits to Eastern Europeans, Russians, and to Central Asians, that they might ask you how much you make or how much money it costs to come, and and that's, that's, that's fully okay. You'll just be uncomfortable with it. We have an aversion to talking about money that actually inhibits our ability to grow in this area when it comes to how god wants to speak into our lives and the truth that he has to proclaim about wealth and riches and resources here is my hope and here has been my prayer that, that we will just allow god to speak the hard truth into our lives today whether you're at home whether you're riding in the car whether you're right here in this room um, that we will allow god's spirit to do the work And if you feel a little bit of anger, if you feel a little bit of of, of uneasiness, just just allow his spirit to work and to teach um, and to to help us all grow and hopefully use the wealth and the resources that he provides to make a difference in this world that goes far beyonder, beyonder. There's another great grammar that goes far beyond um, how it benefits us and and ourselves. We're gonna be looking at 1 Timothy chapter six will be our main passage. But we're going to branch into the words of Jesus uh, on a few occasions, so you can see the consistency with what Paul is sharing and with what Jesus has already stated and shared, kind of these core principles about wealth in the kingdom of God. Uh, You may say, well, why 1 Timothy 6? Timothy was a mentee, um, a protege, uh, a disciple who learned to be a disciple of Jesus from Paul. Uh, Paul found him. You actually read that story in the middle chapters of Acts where he hears about this young man who is traveling to these neighboring cities and sharing the word of God. He's young. He, he shows just incredible potential. He's living out that potential even. And so Paul invites him to come with him to help make disciples uh, who make disciples all around the world like Paul was doing, what we're called to do ourselves. And one of those places that Timothy is sent is to the city of Ephesus, You may recall that there's a letter in the New Testament to the Ephesians. The city of Ephesus was one of the most influential cities in a place called Asia Minor. I actually have a map that should show up on the screen. Uh, the left map is more zoomed out. Uh, you can see the red circle. That's where Ephesus would have been in the ancient world. This is a map of the modern world. So it's, it's, it's a map of Turkey. You see the Aegean Sea. You see Greece. The map on the right zooms in a little bit closer. And you can see that today, Ephesus would be what would likely be a suburb of the city of Izmir. Ephesus was a prominent city. Just think about our own country What are our most influential and our wealthiest cities? There are port cities, right? Whether that's ports on the Atlantic or ports on the Pacific or even a port on the Gulf or a port on a big lake, we have Chicago and Los Angeles, and, and we have Boston, and we have New York, and we have Miami, and we, we have Houston, which is very near in proximity to the ocean. We have New Orleans, and you have all these big cities, and oftentimes there's more wealth there. There's more diversity there. Uh, there, there are challenges that are unique to large cities, and even though we're removed from those uh, water ports, uh, we live in a modern age of a different type of port. We have airports, Right? And people that live in close proximity to airports often have larger cities and there's even more wealth. And we experience that even here in Lebanon being in such close proximity to Indianapolis. So here's Ephesus, this city with wealth, with influence, with cultural diversity. And Paul writes to Timothy about the unique challenges that a culture like that has. And he spends the last part of his letter confronting Just the place that money plays in a wealthier culture. And I think that that makes Ephesus a great place for us to look at because we can experience the same thing. I know some of you will immediately say, we'll revisit this later, listen, Craig, I'm not wealthy. I'm not one of those. I don't live in, and you'll name a place where people have more than you. But here's the harsh reality of living in America is there's a reason why they talk about us being one of the wealthiest countries, most prosperous countries, because we are. Do you know that if you make more than $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of wage earners around the world? Now, I know that doesn't seem to go far in the United States of America. I know it doesn't seem to go far in rents $1,300 a month, but the reality is is we have far more than many in the world. If you make $34,000, you're in the top 1% of wage earners around the world. And then you start adding to that the government subsidies that are available. You start adding that we're one of the unique cultures in our world. There are only a a handful of us that have these social security programs. You may not like how much money is given. You may not like how much Medicaid there is. But the reality is there, there are so many resources available to us. So we really are wealthy in this world. Uh, We are a sort of modern-day Ephesus. And so the challenges we'll see that Timothy has to confront are the same challenges that we ourselves face. These are timeless words. The words on wealth come beginning in verse 6, but to get the right context, we have to go a little bit uh, in reverse. Paul has just finished a warning about false teachers. There are false teachers in every age. There are people who choose to manipulate the words of God for their own profit, their own power, their own influence, uh, uh, their own credit. Like it just builds them up and they manipulate and they twist. It happens in every age that was happening in Ephesus. And one of the ways that these false prophets were manipulating God's truth is in regards to wealth. If you look at verse five, at the end of it, it says that they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. These false teachers saw the pursuit of godliness, the pursuit of God, the pursuit of religion as a means to getting wealthy and rich. It wasn't about honoring God. It wasn't about pleasing him. It wasn't about living his life. It was no, do this just so you can have more, so that you can be more. God was just a means for them to get wealthy, for them to profit. And Paul says, this is not how things are intended to work. Look at verse six. He says, but godliness, like in contrast, godliness is not a means to financial gain, not a means to profit, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Where real profit is found is when godliness, the pursuit of God, is paired with being content in God. Like, like, Like pursuing him is enough. You don't need something more. He is the more that you need. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he kind of doubles down with this evidence. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That's a pretty true statement, right? Uh, How many suitcases, how many backpacks did you have when you were delivered in the hospital? Uh, Your mother is very thankful. None, right? You were enough of a package to deliver. You brought nothing into this world. And if you've been at a funeral or a memorial service, what do you also know? How many packages, how many suitcases, how many possessions go with you? Well, maybe a few in the casket, but really we take nothing with us. And Paul's not really sharing anything new. This is actually a sentiment that's been a part of faith for a long time. You can look at Job. Job talks about uh, being naked and coming from his mother's womb and naked returning. The wise teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter five talks about how like, we take nothing with us when we leave. Like like Paul is just saying, listen, these people are saying that you use godliness to get rich. It's all about getting rich. It's all about getting wealth. It's all about what you can accumulate and the more that you can have. This is, I'm telling you, that's not gonna satisfy. That's not enough. What is enough is when you have God and you are content in that. And we can have a side conversation sometime. I had to cut it out, but but Paul's borrowing a word from stoic philosophy right here that is so powerful. I know that's kind of a, a, a harmful tease because I can't tell you the rest of it, but I would love to have that conversation. I just had to cut something out. But he is saying, if you have God and he is enough, not that you are enough without him, but that he is enough, you have all that you'll ever need. God adds all the value to your life that you need. It's not found in something else. And then he offers more evidence beyond that statement about bringing nothing into the world and taking nothing out. Verse 8, he says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those words mirror some of his words to the Philippian church. You may recall the words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but what precedes that? I've learned the secret of being content of having enough. Jesus is enough. And he likely borrows and has Jesus' words in mind. He says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Do you remember a a sermon that Jesus preached? It's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. He talks about how there are people that worry and he says, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you will wear. He says, look, just look out, look at the birds. Like, like, don't they have enough to eat? And, And how much more valuable are you Than those birds. He says, and by the way, look at those flowers. Look how beautiful they are. And aren't they dressed more brilliantly than one of the richest people that has ever lived? Yep. But how much more valuable are you than those flowers? And so Paul writes these words, if you had food and clothing, we'll be content with that. So so Paul, in summary, is saying, listen, it's not about using God to get rich. It's not about the riches. It's not about the wealth. That's not what adds value to your life. No, it's about being content in Him. He brings all the value that you need. And that sets us up for the discussion of the lies that we so often believe. How many of us, in spite of knowing that the more that we seek in the bigger blank, the newer blank, the nicer blank, the different blank, the new gadget, the new car, the new boat, the new house, the new golf cart, the new iPhone, the new AirPods, the new jeans, the new purse, the new shoes, and the list just goes on and on, whatever it is that suits your fancy. How many of us believe the lie? If I just have that, that'll bring more value to my life. That'll bring more meaning to me. That, that'll make me more happy. And then what happens? That happiness lasts a day. Maybe if you're lucky, it lasts a few weeks. And maybe if you're really lucky, it may last a few months. But then how many of us have said to someone, like, if I just have it, that'll be enough. I won't want anything else. I know I have. I've told Audrey, listen, if I just could get this, listen, I wouldn't ask for anything else. And three months later, I know I told listen, I know I told you that if I just had this, then that would be enough, but, but, but you know, I really just, if I had that, that, that would be enough. How many of us believe that lies? if we just had something more, we would be more, we would experience more? And if we don't recognize that lie, it leads to destruction. Look at verses nine through 10. This is brutal. Those who want to get rich, and it's rich in this world, Accumulate in this world. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. You give in to the enemy's scheme and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people, that plunge you, that plunge me into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, not the only root, but is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for it, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There are just some graphic word pictures here. Let's just start where we ended. They've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves. That's a word that's also used to describe being impaled. Do you remember the story of, of Esther from the Old Testament? Here's Haman who who builds this impaling stake because his goal is that he's gonna see Mordecai killed, right? And the very thing that he looked to to do what he wanted actually ended up being what he was killed upon. I don't know if Paul has this, this story in mind or not, but the picture's graphic that our desire for, our quest for, our pursuit of worldly things, it can destroy us. Here are other pictures. Let's just rewind to verse nine. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Uh, this is this powerful hunting picture. Traps have certainly changed over the years. But what's the science of a trap? Is that you make something look good and it looks good to an animal. There may be food there, but the, the, the jaws are hidden beneath the grass. There, there, there may be something hovering over a pit And you are enticed to think, oh, if I'm a tiger, if I'm a bear, oh, that's what I need. And before you know it, the trap is set, and you are hurt and you are harmed. And how many of us have looked to the things of this world to bring the satisfaction we desire, to bring the meaning we desire, to bring the hope that we desire? And before we know it, we're trapped. We're trapped in payments, so we have to work extra hours. We're, we're, we're trapped in debt and the creditor's calling. Uh, we're trapped in this constant loss of time because we've bought this thing, so we better use this thing, but that takes me away from other things that I enjoy, maybe even the people I plan on enjoying it with, and we just get trapped, and, and it brings ruin and destruction. It's about plunging us. There's another powerful picture. It's the same word that's used in Luke chapter five when the disciples bring in this huge catch of fish, and it said that their boats were sinking it's a picture of like we will we will be overwhelmed with our quest for wealth to the point that it will sink our lives and sometimes that means it sinks our marriages and it sinks our relationship with our kids because we're in a quest to give them so much that we never give them what they truly want and that's just us This is harsh, isn't it? Like like the hard truth about money is that we think that it will give us what we long for, but it never does. It always leaves us wanting more. How many stories have you heard? How many stories have you lived? How many stories have I heard? How many stories have I lived where if I just had something more, then I would be better and it never comes? And probably the The easiest picture of this, the least graphic is the idea of wandering, but maybe that's the worst. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. How many of us have lived this? How many of us know this? Then our quest to find more in the things of the world, suddenly we find things competing for our allegiance to God. And suddenly we find ourselves worshiping him less we don't have time to be in his word. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to go to church because I got to go here. I got to do this. I got to fulfill that. If you talk to an older, wiser person, you've likely had this conversation. You talk to them about their life uh, when they were young, uh, when, when they maybe had just gotten married, when, when they were just starting out. And typically, the conversation will go something like this. We were young and we had nothing, but we were what? We were happy. That in of itself should be proof enough that the life that we seek, the meaning that we seek, the purpose that we long for is not found in stuff. And those words shouldn't surprise us because wasn't it Jesus who said, That life does not consist in the abundance of possessions and yet when the enemy's greatest lies and say, you know what, if you just had more, if you just spit more, if you just did more, you would be more, but we're not more. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's in pursuing Jesus that we find real wealth and riches. And so when we pursue wealth in this world that we experience trouble. How can we pursue Jesus? I found this quote by um, John Mark Comer, who wrote a book I was telling you about a few weeks ago. We recently read, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I just found it profound. He says this in the book. He writes this, what if the formula more stuff equals more happiness is bad math? What if more stuff often just equals more stress, more hours at the office, more debt, more years working in a job I don't feel called to, more time wasted cleaning and fixing and playing and organizing and updating, all that junk I don't even need. Resonates, doesn't it? What if more stuff actually equals less of what matters most? I don't have it here, but he goes on to write in the book that what if more stuff actually means less generosity, which Jesus says leads to joy, the very thing that we're on a quest for. jesus tells us we have a choice to make matthew chapter 6 verse 24 he says no one can serve two masters either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll love the one and you'll despise the other Uh, no one can serve two masters you can't love both god and money that's about allegiance we can't pursue both god and worldly wealth we have a choice to make who will be our enough what will be our enough Will be the God that made us or the stuff we acquire in this world that we didn't bring with us and we won't take with us when we die? So how do we move to pursue Jesus and the wealth that he brings? Well, Paul writes and paints a picture of the alternative to Timothy, verses 11 and 12. But you, man of God, you, uh, person who's allegiant to God, you, person who's pursuing God, you flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue Jesus, pursue the ways of the kingdom. You know, how much effort uh, is spent, not even just the money that's spent on bringing more to our lives through experiences, through opportunities, through stuff, but how much effort is spent? Like, we just be candid for a moment? Like, when I get onto something I think that will bring added value to my life, like how much time do I spend researching the internet about which product would be best? How many magazines have been purchased? How many blogs have been read? That if, if I just want to find the, the exact right product that's going to bring the most value to me. How much time, how much thought, how much energy beyond even the money is spent? And what if that energy instead, what if that time instead, what if those thoughts instead were directed to pursuing righteousness and godliness and faith and love, endurance and gentleness? The things that truly matter to the heart of God. What would be the shift? What would be the change? And here's where we begin to see the revolutionary way of Jesus. Like, like this is all against what the American culture is about, right? The American culture is all about how much more can you get? Like there's a reason why companies all have large budgets for marketing. There's a reason why advertisers do a great job of trying to portray the life that you think you want if you would have that product and purchase that product and grab that cup of coffee and go to that place. Why is it that Disney has marketed that Disney World is the happiest place on earth? Because they want you to spend your $7,000 to take your family of three to go experience happiness. And why is it that there are so many videos on YouTube that show that no one was happy when they were there? <laughs> now, I'm not, we have had great vacations at Disney. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not just destroying them. I'm just saying the allure uh, of, of what you can have doesn't match what it actually brings. And Paul tells Timothy, listen, pursue Jesus, pursue God's kingdom, but understand this is an ongoing battle. Fight the good, fight. These are terms that have a continual motion to them. Like like this is not just one and done. It's why I've been following Jesus for 33 years. And there are times, and Audrey will tell you this, my boys will tell you this, when, when I get on thinking that maybe this will add value to my life. He is still working on me. It's the old children's song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and I don't know, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient, I got the planets down, I think. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Like we're all works in progress. We have to fight the good fight. We have to take hold of the eternal life to which we are called. We have to pursue him. But here's the beauty. When you pursue him instead of wealth, the world changes what would that look like? Look to verses 17, 18, and 19. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. And again, that's us. You may not like it, but that's the reality. That is you. That is me. Command those who are rich in this present world to do what? Don't command them to be arrogant. Don't command them to put their hope in wealth. No, command them to put their hope in God. Put your hope in him, not the stock market, not your 401k, not your salary offer, not your hourly wage, not your motorcycle, not your boat, not your car, not your gaming system. Put your hope in God. He provides with everything you need for enjoyment. And then command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. When you pursue Jesus... You will look not to the stuff of the world, but you will put your hope in him. And you will say, God, how do you want to use me and what you've given me to make a difference? And so we'll use what we've been given to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And we pursue him in good and using what he's given for good rather than for ourselves. We store up treasures in heaven. And by the way, those words in verse 19... In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that so they may take hold of the life that is true life. Doesn't that also sound a lot like Jesus? Store up treasures in heaven where thieves don't break in and steal, where moth and rust cannot destroy. Our lives aren't found in what we have. They're found in who we know and more importantly, who knows us. The truth about money is that godliness with contentment is the true profit not the things of this world that we can acquire. And when we can lay hold of that. When that hard truth can penetrate deep within, when it can start changing our lives, we are positioned to shine a light and be a generous witness to the world around us. So here's just a a short list I came up with of maybe how we can do this actively this week. Uh, We're going to be generous and willing to share. uh, First of all, I do want to make a note that I know inflation is high in our country. I know that many of us have less than we did a few months ago. But I think that actually primes us to see where true value is. It's not found in more money or lower gas prices so we have more money. It's found in the one who made us and formed us. I think it's also important to take note of what happened in our society this week. If we would be generous and willing to share versus pursuing wealth for our own benefit, we would have all the resources, and I think we already have them, we would have even more resources to surround the growing number of kids that will be entering adoption and foster care. And one of the most heartbreaking things I saw the last few days is when Christians that I love, brothers and sisters in Christ, chose to take the you know, turning over of Roe v. Wade as an opportunity to talk about we won and kind of take that Do you realize that it's just that the battle changed? Things go back to the state, and yes, that means that abortions will be less likely in certain states, they'll be more likely in others. And while it's incredible that we can value human life in the womb, it also comes at a cost that we need to be willing to pay. If we spend less on building up our own lives, we have more to share with the young mother who now preserves life who now needs a community to surround her. The teenage mother who needs a church to throw her a baby shower even though they don't agree with being pregnant before their marriage. The church needs people to rise up and open up their homes to kids and to families. And when we spend less on ourselves, we have more to give away. Will the church respond with more than victory chance and dehumanizing takes that and instead prepare proclaim a life-giving message that surrounds women children the vulnerable and the weary when we're generous and willing to share we can do just that jesus said it's better to give than to receive we can live more simply again i borrowed this from the ruthless elimination of hurry here's a here's a here's a brief um, like 12 things you can do to live more simply which allows you to be more generous before you buy something ask yourself what's the true cost of that item is it going to require more time? Is it going to require more maintenance? Is it going to require more oil changes? By buying this, am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth? Never impulse buy. When you do buy, opt for fewer and better things. When you can, share. Get into the habit of giving things away. Live by a budget. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. If you just could, could share what we have. Like, listen, I don't have to own this. Like, let me just borrow yours. That's why it's always better to have a friend with a boat than to own your own, right? Let me, let me just use yours. Uh, Cultivate a deep appreciation for creation. Cultivate a deep appreciation for simple pleasures. Recognize advertising for what it is. It is propaganda. Lead a cheerful revolt against the spirit of materialism. And when we do that, we'll have more to give away. I would encourage you to invite accountability. Allow other followers of Jesus to ask you questions about money. Let's not be American before we're disciples. Let's be disciples first. Will we get help getting out of debt if we've given into the trap, if we're plunging? Will we look to Dave Ramsey and places like that to find financial peace? Will we disciple our children? You know that research shows that children of generous parents are more apt to be generous. Well, it also shows that children who grow up in homes that are not generous often aren't generous themselves. So will you model that and disciple your kids in being generous? Will you be generous to the kingdom of God, the church? because we are the ones championing the only one that supplies life that we truly desire and need, the life in Jesus alone. So again, here's that bottom line. Pursuing Jesus will lead to true riches while pursuing worldly riches will lead us away from Jesus. And this is where I wanna end and I know we've gone long. This is what happens I'm on vacation for two weeks. Um, if you're listening today and you don't yet know this Jesus who supplies the life that is beyond all life, the life that is full, the life that is abundant. I pray that you don't hear us just talking about money. I pray that you hear the invitation that the God who made you and loves you and formed you and fashioned you, makes to you. You're made in his image and he wants to lead you in the life that is truly and fully life. But that's only found when we turn from our own pursuits And our own ways of doing things, our own sin. And we say, God, you get to be the Lord. You get to be the King of my life. And we're only able to do that as we turn to Him. Jesus is the one that made the way. And so we turn from our sin. We confess Him as our Lord. We repent of the wrong that we've done and we invite Him into our lives to be our King, to be our Lord, to be our Master. And as we follow him in faith, we follow him into baptism and he renews us and fills us with the spirit that helps us do all the things we've been talking about and more. And so would you come to know him? And if that's you, I'd love to start that conversation at the front of the room with you or one of our elders will. If you'd rather do it more in private, you can email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org, fill out the physical connection card or, or scan the QR code. May we all experience the more that's found in him rather than the more of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, I also want to thank you for the attentiveness of uh, those in this room and those watching and listening online. Um, I pray that even though my words were long, that God, you were honored and your words will remain. Would you shape us and move us and help us experience you as we allow your hard truth to penetrate? to reveal and to grow an incredible harvest. In your name we pray, amen.